Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. I'm Tim Blevins, lead pastor, and I'm honored you have come to join us. To experience our full service or for more information, check out the links in the description. I hope this message ministers to you and helps you find life in Jesus. Good morning, Life Church. How's it going? Y'all doing good? Awesome. Hey, thank you guys for being here today. If you're a first time guest today, I just want to say welcome to Life Church today. We're so thankful that you are here today. So give it up for our guests today who are here today. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Eli Blevins. I am on staff here as our involvement director. And uh, my parents are pastors, Tim and Harriet Blevins, and they are in Alabama at my cousin's wedding. So great job, Mason, for getting married. That's awesome. But they are down there. He was doing the wedding last night. And so here I am. So it's good to see you guys. Um, Hey, um, today's going to be a great day. Um, We are going through Daniel chapter 1 today. And so if you have a Bible or your iPads or whatever it is, iPhones, whatever you use to, to read it, it'll be on the screens as well. We're going to go through that in just a second. But um, a little back uh, kind of context to what Daniel is. Daniel is a book of both history and prophecy. So it's a book that has a lot of historical elements to it, but also a book of prophet- propheticness as well. So um, you're going to see here that history repeats itself time and time again. What's happening today has happened back in the Bible times, and you'll see that all throughout history as well, where history just repeats itself and repeats itself. And so today, the message, um, the series that we're in is called Colliding Cultures. But today's message is called How to Stand Firm. Everyone say, stand firm. (laughs) Stand firm. So here we go. Lord, thank you today. Thank you so much for us gathered together, Lord. Thank you for just an amazing time we've already had in worship today, Lord. Thank you that your presence is here. It's tangible. Or thank you that we get to sing and talk about an alive God, that you're not some distant being, Lord, that you are here with us and you want to meet us where we're at. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Awesome. So Daniel chapter one, we're going to go through this together. And so I want to talk to you about how to stand firm and have influence at the same time. So Daniel chapter one says this, it says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, there's some names in here, so just bear with me. All right. And so King of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the King of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now Babylon is where modern day Iraq is. If you can just kind of geographically put that together, that's where Babylon is. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, King of Judah into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure at the house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen, were from Judah. You had Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names though. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And so today I want to go over four passages, or, or go over four points from these passages. And so we want to learn about how to stand firm and have influence at the exact same time. And how many of you guys have met a mean Christian before? Have you guys met uh, just a mean Christian and they're just like, they're rude and they're dogmatic about everything? So I want to talk to you about how not to be dogmatic in your approach, but then there's also this other side where people are, are overly loving and they bend to everything that culture says and, and they don't have a backbone to them and, and they don't know how to stand firm for what they believe in. 
And so if you're taking notes, this is point number one. It's that God has called you to set the culture, not to be the culture. You've probably heard it said this way before, but are you a thermostat or a thermometer? Are you someone who goes into a room and, and you change the temperature and, and that's what it is and you set what's going on? Or are you a thermostat and you go, okay, it's 85 degrees. I'm gonna wear shorts today. This is fantastic. But you kind of caved whatever's going on. So you just adapt to what's going on. Or are you someone that's gonna walk into a place and say, uh, no, this is the standard that I'm gonna be living in today. So are you a thermostat or a thermometer? Think about where God's placed you in marketplace, in business, in school, wherever you're at. Maybe you're in a place at work and, and you've got coworkers and maybe they do things that are less than excellent. And maybe they fudge some numbers here. Maybe they don't completely tell the truth on maybe their taxes or maybe they're, they're like, oh, just a, a little lie here won't hurt or a little this won't hurt there. Are you gonna cave into that culture and that's who you're gonna be as well? Or are you gonna stand firm in who God's called you to be and rise up to excellence and wherever that you're placed and let God do the rest? I think we should be thermostats and not thermometers, okay? Number two, culture will try to define you. We'll try to change your identity and how you see yourself. And we'll see this here in scripture. Verse seven here says this, the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach to Mishael, Meshach, to Azariah, Abednego. And even the names that were changed had a negative connotation to it because Daniel, his name got changed to Belteshazzar, which means the lady will protect. And so even his name then, they were trying to obliterate his even identity of who he is and calling him by a feminine name, calling him lady, kind of stripping him of what he knew. How many of you guys know today that this confusion stuff that we're seeing in 2023, it's not a new thing. We see this, this happens, this has happened all the way back for as long as we can go. This confusion that we're in and, and people are saying that this is what, are you really this way? We think that you may identify this way. Or maybe it's, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's, maybe for you, it's, you've always had anger problems. So you're always gonna have anger problems. Or maybe it's, uh, I come from a line of alcoholics and you know, I'm just always gonna be that way. That's just how it's always gonna be. What is it for you? There's a lot of places where we see in our lives that people have tried to call us by something else, but we have to know that God's called us to be set apart, to live differently, to be something different, that he, we are made in the image of God, that we don't have to cater to what has been told to us before, that we get to rise above that. For me personally, when I was in school, I was probably sixth grade-ish or so, I was doing an equation on the math board and how many, how many here are good at math? Any math people in here? Any math people in here? Not that many, not that many, but some of you guys, all right. It's all good, it's all good. So math was definitely a weakness of mine. And, and I was doing, I was on the board and I was writing out an equation. And I just remember like, I was like, I am struggling with what's going on here. And, and you know, that happened once and on a piece of paper, it happened again. I was just kind of struggling. I was like, I know what to do, but I can't, can't seem to make it happen here. And so my teacher called, uh, me and my parents into her office and they were like, we think that he may have some form of like numeric dyslexia. So he may have some sort of like learning disability that has happened and we don't know exactly where it's come from, but we think he needs to go get some sort of testing. And so I was like, sounds good, whatever it takes. I just wanted to play sports and make the grades because C's got degrees to me. So I was like, we're good, we're rolling. As long as I get a C, like we're, we're, we're good here. But I went through school though and, and I had this diagnosis and so for, for a lot of my growing up years, I, I felt less than, I felt dumb. I felt, you know, not as smart as my friends. And, and that's real life. You know, I remember there was a time where we were taking a standardized test and the math portion came up. And so the teacher was like, all right, everyone, you guys can set your test. Eli, you're gonna take your test in another room. 
And you know, those kind of things when you're 12, 13, 14 years old, like you remember those things. Like those are things where you're like, then everyone's like, why is he doing this? And it's like, well, he doesn't really have the, you know, the kind of aptitude to kind of to do this. I was not a Daniel here where I had all kinds of aptitude. And, and so you kind of start thinking through these things and you go, okay, maybe I am this way. And, you know, then, you know, people start, you know, in jest and fun, you know, they're like, oh, Eli, he can't do math. So, you know, he's going to go to another room and do it. And, you know, they say that jokingly, but there's an element of truth that also I felt came with it. And so I remember just growing up and going, I guess I'm just not that smart. I guess I'm not. I'd forgotten how to stand firm in my identity of who God is, that only he can define who I am. And so I forgot that I was a child of God. And if I could look back on 2006, Eli, and tell him where he's at today, I mean, I would say God's got such a bigger plan for your life than taking a test in another room. You've got a beautiful family that's here. You've got a church that loves you. You've got a great community of friends. You've got your dream job. You've got everything that you've wanted. Don't worry about taking a test in another room. And so for me, that was kind of how I, I started to find myself though. And so then you try to mask it with so many other things. You overcompensate. How many of you guys have tried to overcompensate whenever you feel like you are less in an area? So you just try to go all in on something else. And to me, I try to overcompensate by being a good athlete or by being funny or self-deprecating to myself. Just if I thought if I could laugh at myself first, then they can't laugh at me for schoolworks first. So that's kind of how I coped with it. But that's not what God wants to do. He wants us to stand firm be reminded of who we are. Because when culture tries to define who you are, you gotta remember who the Bible says that you are, who God says you are. And you are created in the image of God and you are loved and he is for you. He is not against you. Number three is this. Culture will try and change your standards. How many of you guys have seen what was once wrong now seems right? How many of you guys have seen that happen in culture? Yeah, we see that all the time. You turn on any news or any kind of social media and you're like, this I thought was not exactly how we were supposed to be living, but it sounds like you got these people over here like, yeah, sure, live that way. Live your truth. Do whatever, do whatever you want to do. Mm. We see that happen all the time. They try to justify that maybe God was wrong. We see that in the original sin. We see the serpent says that to Eve. Are you sure he didn't say to eat the fruit from this tree? Did God really say that? And did God really say not to do this? Or is he just being mean? I think so many times we go, is God really saying this to us? Is that really what God wants? Or is he just a party pooper and doesn't want anything for us? And I'd argue that actually God has the best plan for your life. And that he actually has with the end in mind, knowing that that's why he has these things laid out for us. Our standards that, yeah, we get, to, we get to hold our head a little high when we were in Christ. I love that it says, in Christ, you are a new creation, that the old is gone and that the new has come. And that means when we're a new creation, that means, oh man, we get to have a level of excellence, a level of influence that comes with being a Christian. And so many times the culture tries to, tries to redefine who we are and tries to re-put our, our standards on us, but, but no. And we'll see here in Daniel 8 and 9, it says this, it says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. I love that he still uses manners even when trying to change the standard. He asks for permission. You guys have seen dogmatic people and they're just like, it doesn't matter what you say, we're just gonna be right and what's right is right and they have no love in them at all. But we, here we see Daniel, he knew his convictions, but he's like, I'm still, gonna, I'm still gonna be a gentleman about this and go ask. I'm still gonna do this because I know this is the right thing to do. He says when he did that, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. How many people want to have more favor in their life? How many people want to see God bless them more in their life? How many people want to see God just do a miracle in your life? Start by, start by just having a, an openness, 
just a love, just an appreciation for who you are. Daniel knew his core beliefs. And I think we grapple with this so much, especially when it comes to things like media and the music we listen to and, and the standards. And you're like, should we, is this something we really should be watching? I, my friends all watch it, so why is it bad if I watch it? And you're like, but that's also not holy. That's not what God wants for us. And should we really be listening to this? For me, I'm a music person. So for me, like lyrics get stuck in my head all the time. And, and, and I hear lyrics and all day long, I'm listening to music pretty much. And, and so when I hear music and things that like, I guess are inappropriate or things like that gets into my soul. And, you know, like two hours later, I'm like saying this stuff. I'm like, what, where did this come from? And it's because I just let a little bit of gate open in my heart and a little bit here. And it just starts to seep in and seep in. I've forgotten my standard of excellence. I've forgotten who as I was. And we see it happen in movies and, oh, or TV shows. Oh, it's on Netflix. It must be fine. And you're like, oh, it's fine. It just has a little bit of nudity in it. Like, that's, that's not going to hurt anybody. You know, that's, that's nothing new. Oh, they just got, they, they don't say that word that many times in, in the show. Like, it's okay. Like, we've all heard it before. Have you guys have been there before? Be honest. Yeah, we, we've all been there, right? And that's real. This is real life. And, this happens. So how are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to be that thermostat that says, no, I'm actually going to change my expectations, change the standard of living, or am I just going to cater to what everyone else says? Number four is this, is that culture will try and test you. How many of you guys have been just tested in your behavior, just coming in the door today or coming home from, coming here from home? You get in the car and someone's cutting you off and next thing you know, you're giving them the holy wave with one finger, you know, like as you see the cars and it's a, it's a testing world out there. Get on College Road and you'll be tested plenty. I guarantee you that. Golly, it's, it's a mess out there. But culture, it's going to try to test you. I mean, that's, that's what we see. Even, even the devil tried to try to test Jesus. If you really are the son of man, do this. Are you sure this is what you're supposed to do? If you're really the son of man, you would eat this. And we see tries to test us all the time. Verse 10 says this, but Daniel, or but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the King, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than any other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Would not be my preferred diet. Just gonna say that, but you know, worked out for him. Then compare our appearance with that of young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. It's important that we seek God daily in our lives, that we learn scripture, that we have a foundation of who we are. See here, their culture was trying to tell Daniel, hey, this is how it's gonna go. This is what the king has. He's gonna change your name. He's gonna change your food. He's gonna change everything about everything that you know. And Daniel's going, hold on a second. Um, I'm, I'm here. I, I, I feel like God's called me to something a little bit different. First, he asked permission, can I do this? And then it says here that, that the chief official Tessa had to test him. And it's like, are you sure this? If this doesn't work out, Nebuchadnezzar is going to have my head. He's going to come for me. So it says he agreed to be tested for 10 days. And then if you keep reading on in the, in the scripture, it says that Daniel and his friends, they found favor with both God and man. Not only that, it said that they exceeded the rest of the young men who are going through this. 
Actually, take it a step further, he was a thermostat in the room because then they had everyone change their diet to that of Daniel's because he was showing so much more aptitude, so much more strength. He said he was looking cleaner and more full than any of the other men. And he was just eating some fruits and veggies here and water. You see that when, when we're tested, it's so easy to cater. It's so easy to go, oh, it's just a hard time. Life just stinks, so I'm just gonna do this. You know, I'm falling through a hard time, so I'll just turn, I'll just turn to drugs now. I'll just, you know, it's just one drink. What's it gonna hurt? It's just this, you know, I've fallen on some hard times. You know, I'm just gonna, I'm just not gonna tell the complete truth when it comes to my taxes or my income or, you know, I may just slip a dollar here or there. And we've forgotten how to live in a life of influence, a life of excellence. But it's so important. We see here John 1, 14, we see this as the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's the Christmas story right there. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. I love this. That says grace comes first. So we're in a situation and we're trying to stand firm and have influence where God has put us. We see that grace comes first because before we correct, we need to connect with people. Before you go out and start being dogmatic and trying to tell people truth and what's going on, you got to connect with them first. You gotta be able to show that you, do, that you do love them, that you have their best interest, but also show that there's a God, that there's Jesus and he loves you so much, but he loves you too much to just leave you where you're at. And then truth comes behind it. And we see here in John 8, 1, it says this, this is, there's some scripture here. There's, there's a lot of verses we're gonna read here, but it says John 8, 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. I don't know how you get caught in adultery, but that's probably a very awkward situation. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap or they were trying to test him in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is out sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and started doodling again on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and leave your life of sin. And we see that Jesus shows grace and love. He says, I don't condemn you. No, I'm here for you. But in the same breath, he says, but go and, and leave your sin. Go and leave this mess that you're in. It's not, just, it's not just, oh, we hate sin and that's what it is. And it's not also, oh, we just love you so much. It's okay, you'll figure it out. No, because grace without truth is meaningless. And truth without grace is just mean. And I don't want us to be mean Christians. I want us to have influence wherever we are. That, how are you gonna lead people to the Lord? They're gonna see your life as a testimony. You want your friends to be saved? Live your life, live a big life. Live a life that's full of, of, full of grace, but also full of truth, knowing who you are and being convicted in that. So I wanna close with this and it's that Jesus, he loves you so much, but he loves you way too much to leave you where you're at. He doesn't wanna just leave you in the mud. He wants to pull you out of the pit. He wants to set you free. 
And so right now, if you're in this place and I'm gonna ask you guys to close your, close your eyes and bow your head for a second. If you're in this place and maybe you're struggling and you don't know how to stand firm and you're in situations right now where maybe you're in school or at work and you feel like you've maybe bent to what the culture has or bent to kind of what the world wants you to be or maybe it's in your family life and that's you and you wanna learn how to stand firm again, I'm just gonna ask that you raise your hand and I'm just gonna pray a prayer of blessing over you. So if that's you on a count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. Lord, right now, we just pray for every single person with their hands raised, Lord, that they're in situations where they feel like they may be bending too much one way and, and they've lost their influence. They've lost their standard of excellence, Lord. Lord, I pray right now that wherever their feet have them in their life, Lord, that wherever they are in their culture of life, Lord, that, Lord, I pray that you bless them. Lord, I pray that you give them a sense of courage, that courage would rise up, that boldness would rise up from within them today. Lord, I pray right now that at the sound of my voice, that all the doubts and all the fears that they have in their life, that those have to go down. That what the enemy meant to try to destroy your life, that, the, that God will turn it for good. That maybe you've been called something in your life and, and you don't fully buy into that because you know whose you are. I pray that people today, this week, that they leave here and they're able to be full of faith, full of hope, knowing whose they are in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. But at the same time, there's people in here today who may not know who Jesus is as their Lord and Savior. And today I just want us to, to respond to this and say, you are loved by God. You are so loved by God. Like I said, he loves you so much, but he does not wanna leave you where you are. He wants to see you go further and further. But us, humanity, we've sinned and we've fallen short so many times. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Thank you, Lord, for Jesus that came on the cross and died for our sins. Today, will you choose to accept that in your life? And again, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you in this place and you're saying, Eli, I wanna, I wanna rededicate my life to the Lord. I wanna say yes to him again, or maybe for the very first time, you wanna make the greatest decision of your life and say yes to Jesus. I'm just gonna ask that you lift your hands. One, two, three. Yes, Lord. Thank you, thank you. Lord, right now, I just repeat after me, church. Say, dear Jesus. Say it again, say, dear Jesus. Come into my life. Make me brand new. I wanna live for you all the days of my life. Lord, today, I ask for forgiveness. Make me new. And Lord, today, as all of our churches said this, Lord, we just thank you right now for each person that has said this for the first time or is saying it again, Lord. And right now, I just pray over our church. I pray that you just come into every single life and every single heart. I pray they leave here better than they walked in. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.